growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Don't let fear steal from you what God desires for you to have. Don't let fear rob you of the victory that is ours. Few emotions are as paralyzing, as debilitating as the emotion of fear. All of us know what it feels like to be scared by someone jumping out suddenly or a movie designed to frighten us. But fear can come from a lot of different directions in our life. Fear of our marriage failing, fear from financial problems, fear of failure. Question, what do you do when fear knocks at your door? Whatever all those things are that create fear in our lives, the answer always is to seek God's presence as we pour out our heart to Him, to seek His presence, and then to move forward in obedience as He reveals Himself to us. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today in our series entitled, Alone, we're looking at the story of a great prophet of God by the name of Elijah and his battle with fear. As Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's message, Elijah had experienced great victories in his service to God. God had demonstrated his power to Elijah many times, but in a moment of weakness, Elijah allowed fear to take over his life, causing him to want to quit. Maybe you can relate? You'll want to stick around then for today's message entitled, Alone with Fear. Now, here's Pastor Clyde. As weird as it seems, there are people, and, and you know who you are, there are people that actually like to get scared. There are actually people that like to be scared. I, I mean, the... Uh, the horror film industry and, you know, the whole alien kind of, I mean, makes hundreds of millions of dollars every year, right? People that cram into theaters to see these horror kind of movies and, uh, and, and haunted houses. How many of y'all do, do the whole haunted house type, type thing? And yeah, see, there's, there's, there's actually people that like to be scared. I, I did not have to be one of those kind of people. Uh, Cindy will tell you, like, we're at the movie stuff, I, I will jump. I get startled about everything. I mean, like, we could be watching a cartoon and a turtle could, like, stick its head out. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I just, I get startled about everything. But there actually are people that like to be scared. Scared to death. But I would dare say that it's safe to say that there is not a single person in this room or listening to this message or anywhere, for that matter, who likes to live in fear. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm talking about? When I'm talking about living in fear, that, 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 that feeling, that, that uncertainty, that, that anxiety, that fear that comes from where, wherever it might be coming from, right? And it, it, it could come from fear of, of, a, of a marriage that's not going to make it or not going to get any better or fear of, of some financial collapse or, or fear of, of job loss or, or fear of, of some diagnosis. I mean, fear can come from a lot of different directions, right? Right? I don't know of anybody that likes to live in fear. We're going to look at uh, a biblical character today that we've already spent a little bit of time looking at. But this is a different uh, episode in his life, if you will. And we're going to look at, at this idea of being alone or feeling alone with or in my fear. Fear of rejection. Fear that somehow this dream that I have of what my life can be or, or, or should have been or what it was, it's never going to work out. It's never going to happen. Fear that I'm going to be miserable my whole life. Fear that I'm never going to accomplish anything. Fear that I, I'm not going to get this thing that I really want. Fear. Fear. First Kings uh, chapter 19. 
start with this idea this morning. Fear will make you feel like quitting. I mean, pull the covers up, pull the shade down, lock myself away, I quit. Fear will make you feel like quitting. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Thank you for being here today. You honor the Lord with your presence and with your attentiveness to his word this morning. Now, uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I'll fill you in on that in just a second. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them, meaning one of the prophets, by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, Elijah, and he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Anybody ever been there? And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down, he slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. If, you've been, if you happen to have been with us for the last couple of weeks, as we've been in this series called Alone, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you, you, you know that we have been in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 is the story of Elijah, this guy we're looking at here, uh, and a, uh, a widow... A woman simply known as the widow of Zarephath. As I said last previous two weeks, we, we don't even know her, her name, but she, she's an amazing demonstration of faith and the, the power of God to work in amazing ways. Both Elijah and the widow of Zarephath teach us about, and in, in, in the context of 1 Kings 17, it particularly has to do with uh, financial or material uh, crisis. Feeling that feeling of being alone in the midst of, oh my, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, this has happened or... or, or all this money evaporated, or I've lost my job, or whatever the case may be. This financial or material crisis, and they teach us something about, about believing God. About believing God. And we talk about that whole see versus say moment, and am I, am I going to believe what I see in my checkboard, or am I going to believe what God says? That if we'll trust Him, if we'll, if we'll put our faith in Him, and, and demonstrate that by this, this offering of first fruits that Scripture talks so much about, that whole thing. Amazing demonstration of faith, and He teaches a lot. Uh, clearly, it was, a, we can see Elijah's a man of, of faith there in 1 Kings 17. Now, of course, Elijah's uh, greatest story, the, the story he's probably the most famous for, takes place in the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18. And in that story, Elijah goes uh, one on, not one on one, he goes one on 450. It's, it's Elijah against the, the 450 prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. And maybe some of you have read that story before where Elijah, he taunts the the prophets of Baal, for, they, they both create an altar, they both put a sacrifice on the altar, uh, and, he, and he says, well, why don't y'all get uh, Baal to, 
to do his deal and, and come down and consume the, the, the sacrifice. First Kings 18. Y'all, some of y'all know that story, right? And nothing happens and they dance around. And they cut themselves. They do all this stuff as part of their uh, worship uh, ritual to try and make Baal do something. Baal don't, Baal, Baal, Baal doesn't. Baal is bailed. He is not there. Nothing is happening. And so Elijah says, all right, get back, boys. And, and he just says, God, get it. And, and before, by the way, before he does that, he pours, has water poured all over his sacrifice first. Uh, and, and in the story in 1 Kings 18, you know, the fire falls and, and, it, and it consumes the sacrifice and it consumes the wood and it consumes the stones, it consumes the altar. And uh, the text there says that it even licks up the water that Elijah had poured, that had gathered all in a trough all around there. To show that there's no God, there's no God like, like my God's, what Elijah was, was saying, right? It was an amazing moment of strength and, and faith. And clearly, Elijah is a man who has experienced tremendous victories in his life. By faith, he's experienced tremendous victories in his life. But here's what we need to understand about victories. Past victories won't stop future adversity. No matter how great a thing you've, you've experienced or seen God do or work or in some amazing ways, what you need to understand is past uh, victories uh, does not mean that there will not be future adversity. Elijah comes down off the mountain and it's, I mean, it's, it's a super spiritual high mark, right? I mean, it's unbelievable what he's experienced and what he's just seen happen. And word gets to Jezebel, right? She is a piece of work, man. Word gets to Jezebel. And she basically sends back word to make sure that it gets back to, to Elijah that he understands that basically she has taken a contract out on his life. And that by this time tomorrow, he's going to be dead as all the prophets of Baal were dead. And Elijah turns and runs like a little girl. Not, 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 nothing against little girls. I'm just saying it's not the response you would expect to see from the prophet of God. From this guy who has seen victory after victory. But you see, that's the thing. Past victories doesn't mean there won't be future adversity. Why? Here's why. I want you to understand. Because the enemy never quits. He never quits. He doesn't care what you've done for God lately. He never quits. He's, he always keeps coming. You need to understand that. Young people, teenagers, senior adults, whatever the case may be, you need to understand the enemy just, no matter what you think, well, well, we triumph there, we, and praise God. But you just got to know that adversity is still coming because the enemy is still coming. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. Why? I want to give you a couple of reasons why the enemy doesn't give up, just for your consideration. First, because Satan knows that it hurts our Heavenly Father to see us hurting. I really believe that. I believe that God's uh, love and compassion for us is so demonstrated in the, in the pages of God's Word that it, it grieves the heart of God to see the people of God not living the life that He desires for you and I to live. A life of, well, let's see, what would everybody like? Peace, contentment, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, all that stuff that everybody, I've said this for years, that everybody is looking for in life. Just people looking in different places. And if the enemy can come and if he can bring stress and anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and, and just all the stuff, every, whatever all the stuff is that the world can throw at us. I, I believe it grieves the heart of God to see the people of God not living, as Jesus put it, more abundantly. A life that's something else that's better than what 
we usually li- li- live stressed out and worried and fearful and uncertain and all that kind of stuff. And so, in a sense, he, he comes at us as a way to try and get at God, so to speak. I, I, I believe that it grieves the heart of God. And second, I believe the enemy doesn't give up because nothing is greater advertisement for giving our lives to God than a satisfied customer. In other words, when our lives display joy and peace and contentment and purpose and hope and, and certainty and, and victory, when our lives demonstrate that type of existence, I'm telling you, it's just, it's, it, not everybody, I'm, man, I wish it was, but not everybody, but some people that you live near or work with or go to school with or somebody notices that and will want to know more about it. Want to know more about this, this God who can bring you such joy and, and fulfillment and peace and contentment uh, in, the midst of, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your adversity. This God can still come and he can still bring this kind of stuff. There are some people out there that actually will want to know more about this God. But when we live lives where we are, and we're all guilty of this at times, right? But when we live, we find ourselves living in a hole. We'll get to that in a minute. But find ourselves in a place where we just, we're afraid, we're, we're, we don't know, we're uncertain, we're doubtful, we're anxious, we're stressed, we're worried. We don't, we don't know what's, you know, where's God? What's going to happen? How is this going to work out? Are we going to have enough for this or all this kind of stuff? When people see us, y'all know what I'm saying? You know what this is? When people see us like that, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not interested in our God. Because they got all that already that they, that they need. They don't want any more. And why should they believe in a God that doesn't seem to be doing anything for me? You understand what I'm saying? So Satan doesn't quit. He just keeps coming. just keeps coming. keeps coming. Because he doesn't want you or me or any of us to be a, an advertisement, a walking billboard for the power of God and the victory that he can actually bring into our lives. I'll say it again. I say it all the time. In the middle of our circumstances. Not lifted out of them necessarily, but even in the middle of them that he can bring us this. So the enemy doesn't quit. He keeps coming. And here comes Jezebel. And she says, hey, uh, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be like that. He turns and he runs. He takes off running. And and an angel of the Lord literally literally has to come along and keep poking him. Get up. Get up. I just wants to quit. Hey, by the way, not only does he he want to quit, he he just wants to die. I mean, he just says, now he don't want to die clearly at Jezebel's hand. But he just, it'd be okay, Lord, just take me on home. Just let me, I'll just go on home with you. That'll be just fine. I'm no better than my fathers who are now resting, sleeping with you. I'm no better than them. So, hey, why not, I've done a lot here. Why not just take me on, I'll just go right now. No more worries, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more fear. Sound good? Anybody ever been there? You ever been to that place? Oh, my Lord, just, come on. Isn't this enough? Fear will make you want to quit. And it's not, I'm telling you, you read 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18, and it's not what you expect. You, you don't expect to hear that from Elijah. As a matter of fact, I, I kind of wrote out, I mean, this is not scripture, okay? But this is like, this is what you would expect at, at this point, and what you've read all about Elijah in 17 and 18 and up to this point, I'm telling you, this is the kind of thing that you would expect to hear from Elijah. Something like this. When Elijah heard these words, he sent a messenger back to Jezebel, saying, 
the God who stopped up the heavens so that no rain has fallen on the land because of the wickedness you have brought into this land, this same God who has provided me with food and water through the days of drought, this same God who consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the altar, and the water on Mount Carmel, this same God who delivered every single one of the prophets of Baal into my hands and put them to the sword, this same God will fight for me this day. Let all the people know that after this day, you, Jezebel, shall be known as Jezebel because you're going down. Right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff you expect from Elijah. Or, Jezehel, because that's where you're headed. Thus saith the Lord. And that's, that's where this guy has been up to this moment. But one word, one little word from Jezebel. And he's turned and run into the wilderness. That's what fear will do to you. Now listen, I, I'm not offering any solutions, by the way, at this point. I'm just telling you that you have to recognize that fear will, will muck up the works. Y'all know what I'm saying? It'll muck up the works of your life and what God wants to do in your life. And it will, it will paralyze you. And it will debilitate you. And it will make you say, I, I ju- I'm just, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Can y'all all do that? Ah, uh, I just want to quit. I went to school with a guy that we, we had a very similar uh, background. We, we were all, I think we were virtually the same age. He had gone into ministry a little later than li- in life as, as I had. We came to a seminary at Southeastern at the same time. We had a lot of classes together. We went on some mission trips together. And, and he, he, was, he was a great friend and a, and a great man of God, in my opinion. And God had called him to pastor, and he felt like pastoring. And uh, he, he began to pastor while he was still in seminary. And he pastored a, a, a church that shall remain nameless. But this, this church uh, began to uh, attack him and, and go after him and... I know it's hard to believe that churches could do that, but there are churches that do that kind of stuff. And they, they went after him and they, they attacked him. And there was some really, I mean, some vicious stuff. And uh, God opened another door right after graduation for him to, to go to another church. He stayed at that church, but he got open door to go to another church and, and over towards the coast. And it was a good ministry opportunity or seemed like it at the time. And, and he went down there and it wasn't very long before the church began to attack him again. Let me tell you all this. Sometimes, you know, if, if you are what's considered uh, biblically conservative, in other words, you believe the word of God, you, you teach the word of God, and you believe that's how the church is supposed to operate. Uh, there are churches that say that, that that's how they are. They lie. <laughs> churches, they just lie sometimes. And that's what happened to this, this gentleman. He went down there and, and all of a sudden they didn't like what he was saying. And, and it got real ugly. I mean, even like physical. He had, had a deacon come up and shove him in the parking lot and and something began to happen he had two two younger daughters and those daughters began to be literally fearful about going to church and he became fearful of what that would do to them whether they would turn their backs on the church because they, they were they were they were afraid and they were becoming angry about the way their daddy was being treated and that that good friend of mine he left ministry, vocational ministry. He left vocational ministry. I, I'm sure wherever he is today, I'm sure he's serving the Lord in whatever capacity, but he walked away from the pastorate because he was afraid of what it would do to his daughter. Fear will do that. But let me give you this, this second idea this morning. God will take you and keep you moving. God, fear will make you want to quit. If you'll let him, God will take you and keep you moving. But I don't want to move. I just want to crawl in a hole. Have y'all ever wanted to crawl in a hole and just check out? 
as we're going to see in a moment, that's exactly where Elijah was. That's exactly what, not only Elijah wanted to do, it's exactly what Elijah did. He crawled into a hole and just said, just leave me alone. I just, I, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I'll go ahead and just say this to you. God loves you and me too much to let us stay in the hole. God loves you and me too much to let us stay in the, in the black hole of, of fear or depression or, or, or whatever it is. He, 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 just, he just, because why? Because that's what a loving father does. Do you leave your kids in a, in a place where it's harmful to them? If you have kids, no. You go after them. You pursue them. And, and here's how this looks. Here's how it breaks down. Uh, first, God hears our problem. Did you hear me say this this morning? God hears our problems. Would you say that to yourself this morning? Say, God hears my problems. God hears my problems. Say it. Would you say it again? God hears my problems. Not a person in this room that doesn't have problems from time to time in their life. Let me read verse 9 and 10. Listen, listen to this. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now let me try and read this the way I think Elijah probably would have said it. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel, forsaken your covenant and torn down your altar and killed your prophets with, with, with the sword. And, and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. Do I exaggerate? Or do I, I'm, I'm telling you, I just suspect that's how it was. Y'all ever sounded that way? I have. God invite. Can you see what God's doing here? He's inviting Elijah into this conversation with him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, does God know what Elijah's doing in there? Of course he does. He's God. He knows exactly what Elijah. He knows that Elijah has turned tail and run. He knows that he's hiding. He knows that he's in fear. And God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's inviting Elijah into this conversation with him, to engage with him. Listen, people that want to paint this picture of a God who is distant and aloof and and puppet master kind of God, they really have no idea what they're talking about. They really don't. And they clearly have never read the page upon page upon page of of Scripture that that shows a God of compassion, a God of caring, a God who desires to draw us near to Him as He draws near to us. And and he, he He wants to hear your problems. Not because He doesn't know them, by the way. I'll say this, there, there's a sense that being able to share our problems with a, real per, a literal person, a physical person in front of me, or we got, there, there's, there's something therapeutic about that, about, about being to engage and, and uh, decompress and, and, and spill all this stuff that's pent up in me that I'm just living with. and I want to, There's something therapeutic about that. But more importantly, when I go to God and I share these concerns with God, it is an act of faith, is it not? Because, I mean, you don't, at least for me, I don't physically, literally see God. He doesn't come down and slap me on the back and say, you're doing a good job, keep going, son. It's not, so it is an act of faith. Now, we, we know, we understand what kind of faith it is and that it's empirically based faith and all that stuff, but it's still this act of faith. And when, when I act in faith, when I say, God, can I, you got five minutes? Better make that 50, God, because I, I, got, I got a lot of stuff I just got to talk to you about. When we do that in an act of faith, Here's what it does. Whether you realize it or not, you've honored God because you've approached him with this, with this problem that he already knows about, but you've honored him by saying, I believe that God is there. I believe that God cares. I'm going to approach the, the throne of God, so to speak, and talk to him about this. You've honored God, which then, you listen to me, 
This is very, very important. It then places you in position for God to move in your life. God, uh, God's looking for faith. He's looking for faith in our lives. He's trying to produce faith. Remember, I talked about that last couple of weeks. God, God's always trying to stretch us, right? We talked about those spiritual stretch marks. And, it, it put, and most of us probably got some spiritual stretch marks. He's always trying to stretch us. And faith demonstrates our belief in him. It honors God, which then puts us in position or in a place where God can then move and work in our lives. But until we demonstrate faith, until we walk by faith, then God's got to just keep working on us to get us to that place. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, here's, here's, a, second, here's a second idea uh, this morning. God reveals his presence. He hears our problems, and then it doesn't stop there. He reveals his presence. This is a fascinating uh, encounter uh, between God and Elijah here in verses 11 through 14. Uh, let me read it to you. Y'all, y'all okay? Y'all with me? Right? You're here? Listen. Listen to this. So he said, this is, uh, this is God speaking now. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountain and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Literally blowing the mountain away. That's what Elijah sees. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Or as the King James puts it, a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, basically his robe, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. And then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This may be my baptized imagination, but he, Elijah gives the same response. But I, I, I would venture to say that the, the tone in which he says it has changed because of what he's just experienced. He's in this cave. He's hiding out. He just really just wants to die. And God says, go stand out at the entrance of the cave. And here comes this big, mighty, rushing wind. Now, let me say this. that These types of encounters with God, even in Scripture, they're, they're rare. I mean, this type of encounter are rare. You don't see it all the time. But you see, here's the thing. God knows where Elijah is. He knows where he is emotionally, psychologically, physically. God knows what Elijah's need is in that moment. And so he's going to give him exactly what he needs. And God reveals himself in a dramatic way. In a sense, you could say he revealed himself in, in four dramatic ways. First, this, this shaking or blowing of the, of the mountain, it's, it's this, this strong wind that's literally blowing rocks apart and all this kind of stuff. But the text then specifically says, what does it say? Come on. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then there comes this, this ground-shaking earthquake. But, come on, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then this fire, whatever whatever all that was there's this there's this fire but the lord was not in the fire now listen those types of uh literal ground shaking events earthquake and in this case is what he said earthquake and and fire and 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 tremendous wind and blowing rocks down those types of things are 
they are a demonstration of God's power, right? And, and that's fine, and that's good, and there's a place for that. They are a demonstration of the power of God. But that's not where Elijah meets God, is it? It's in the still, small voice, as King James says. It's this, in this light breeze, this breath of wind, this, this whatever this is that Elijah knows, this is it. This is where I meet God. This is the presence of God. Now listen to me, this is really, really important. One of the things that we say, uh, kind of our tagline here at Cross Culture Church, is that it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship, right? Isn't that what we say around here a lot? Uh, uh, when you think about in the aspect of religion, the, when, and you think about God in, in the context of religion, you think of this, you know, what do you think of? You think of this powerful, this strong God, this, this God who's able to do all these things, which is absolutely true, but you know what? That's not where you meet him, is it? No, you meet him in his presence. It's in his presence that you meet him. Which, by the way, could only happen because of what our children sang about this morning. Because he engaged us and was willing to come to earth and was willing to die on a cross and was willing to make it possible for you and I to actually, for this, for this personal God to extend a personal invitation for us to personally experience him for ourselves. And if you've never, if, you, if, you're, if I'm saying that and you say, I don't have a clue what that even means, then I, I want to encourage you, God, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life, and he wants you to experience this personal relationship with him. God reveals himself personally to us in the midst of our stuff. God will do it. Listen, don't misinterpret God's silence for God not caring. Sometimes God has purposes even in being silent when we're drawing near to him and we're, we're talking to him, we're pouring our heart out, and we may say, man, I, I don't feel God, I don't feel. God has purposes even in that, but I promise you on the authority of God's word that if you will draw near unto him, he will draw near unto you and you will sense his presence if you're, if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to do what it takes to get to that place. And he will reveal himself to you in a way that, that brings what you're needing in your life, this removal of this fear, to know that God is there. Uh, Third, let me just uh, say this. God lovingly pushes. Y'all do me a favor. This is interactive day, I guess. If if you got somebody sitting beside you, just just reach over and push them. Just push them. Is that annoying? (laughs) Is that annoying? God, stop! God lovingly uh, pushes. Let me read verse uh, 15. Listen, watch this. (laughs) Okay, now if you're still pushing... Stop, don't push it. You're, you're skating on thin ice with that person you're pushing. The Lord said to him, watch this. Now this is it, he, right? He, dem- he demonstrates his power. He, he, he shows up. Oh, by the way, I, want, I wanted to say this. Yeah, I, uh, forgive me, but I, I need to say this. I want you to understand this, this idea of God's power and revealing himself in his power, revealing his power, that's part of it, but it's in his presence. I want you to, uh, this is something you need to understand. We live in a culture, uh, maybe, we've, maybe we've always been like this, but more and more we're living in a culture that's, that's looking for the dramatic, looking for the, the big, looking for the, uh, you know, the, the super special effects, looking for the whatever. And, and I, I'm just telling you right now, this is something I've learned in my life. God's not trying to impress anybody. He's, really, he's, he's just not, he's not into that. God's not into impressing you. Matter of fact, this is the, the statement that I've said for a long time. It uh, looks like this. God is not interested in proving himself to anyone. God wants to reveal himself to everyone. And if you don't know what the difference is between those two, please come and talk to me. I'd love to help you understand what the difference is between uh, proving himself and revealing himself. God's not interested in proving himself. He doesn't have to. He's God. But he is interested in revealing himself to you. And that happens in a personal intimate way so uh where was i 
The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, uh, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Saphat, of some hard word to say, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you remember what, you remember what one of Elijah's complaints was? Yeah, that's right. It's just me. It's me. It's me, God. I guess it's me and you, but it really kind of feels like just me. And God's reminding him, no, there's still some that will stand with me who've not bent their knee to Baal. You know what he's saying to Elijah? He says, Elijah, basically he's politely putting it this way. Elijah, I will let you know when you are done. (laughs) I'll let you know when I'm finished with you. Excuse my grammar. But it ain't yet. Not done yet. Elijah, what's he doing? He's, he's loving, and that's what it is. He's lovingly pushing Elijah out of that hole. He's lovingly pushing him on down the road to the ministry that he still has for him. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, all Elijah wants to do is die. He says, I just, I just, oh, just take me home, Lord. All he wants to do is die, and he never actually gets to, ever. By the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah gets, gets a, a, a personal chariot ride into heaven. He gets to go to heaven, but he actually never dies. He, he never, the solution, he thinks, well, if I just die, everything will be better. And no, no. I've seen, and God used, God used Elijah still in amazing ways, still in the future. But it had to do with God having to lovingly push. Get up, Elijah. Get up. I'm not done with you yet. That's what you've got to understand. God lovingly pushes you. And when you don't feel like being pushed and you feel like he's pushing, just understand it's because he loves you and because he cares about you. It's why he keeps pushing you. So here's what that means. Here, here, here's the key uh, to, to all of this, if you will. This is, this is how you get there. You, you've got, go ahead, Tyler, next one. Uh, you've, got, you've got to understand that fear is defeated through obedience. That's, that's the bottom line. Uh, I, I won't bother reading all of, well, it's just 1920. Let me, let me read it. Uh, So he departed from there. This is Elijah. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, where he was uh, plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and uh, he with the 12. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. It was a symbolic gesture. Elijah was, and Elisha understood this. Elijah was saying to Elisha, you're now the prophet of God. When he received the mantle of the prophet, the robe of the prophet, the covering, he knew that that that, that God had picked him out. Uh, he, verse 20, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, uh, let me kiss my father and mother, and, and then I will follow you. This is Elisha now speaking. Elisha, okay. And he said to him, Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I to do with you? What, hey, you understand? Elijah's, what's going on here? He's making sure Elisha understands his calling. So he returned from following him, took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, the, the plows or whatever it was he used, and he gave it to the people, and they ate, and then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Both in Elijah's life and Elisha's life, he's lear- they're, they're learning this, this, this principle, this key that's true for our lives, that, that you, 
you, you got, you got to move forward in obedience. That it is in obedience that you are able to experience all that God wants for your life. It's in obedience that fear is overcome. For you, if it's obedience, if it's fear that your marriage is going to fail or it's not going to work out or it's not going to get any better, if it's fear that, uh, that, that physically you're, you're, you don't have what it takes or you've you, you got to meet with a doctor or whatever, fear that, that you're not going to be able to pay your bills, whatever all those things are that create fear in our lives, the answer always is to, is to seek uh, God's presence as we pour out our heart to Him, to seek His presence, and then to move forward in obedience as He reveals Himself to us. When I surrendered to ministry, I was uh, in my early 30s, and I was trying to decide. I had dropped out of college after, my, after one semester, my fresh, uh, you know, freshman year. Didn't know what I wanted to do, so now I got married, and I'm you know, working a uh, job and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, a number of years later, obviously, when God uh, felt like God was calling me to ministry, but I'm like, okay, what do I do? Uh, I've got this, you know, great career, and you know, we've got a great place to live. And I, don't know, I, I know I feel like I need to go back to school, but what? And I'm really, you know, what do you do with all this stuff? And there's there's some fear in there about walking away from a a, a very good career and this great life and and all that kind of stuff and what you know expect it and where are you going to go and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there was a school I was interested in, a, a little small little Bible college down in the Atlanta area. And I, as soon as I went down there for the weekend, went down and I met with the advisor there. And he said something to me that day that was very simple and it you know, wasn't earth-shattering or anything like that. It wouldn't, wouldn't be earth-shattering to you, uh, but it was very profound to me. You're going to hear it and you're going to say, well, pfft, duh. But for me, at that moment in my life, it was very profound because, because I'm not, I, I don't know. I mean, what do we do, pack it all up and, and just move to somewhere we've never lived before and we don't even have a house there and don't have a job and don't... What, what do you do? And in the midst of our conversation, discussing these things and all this kind of stuff, uh, the gentleman said, I don't even remember his name anymore, but the gentleman said to me, he said, Clay, he says, um, it's the only thing I really know to tell you is, is this, is that uh, God will move us, God will direct us, but he can't do it as long as we're sitting down. Okay, I told you it wasn't earth shattering. But it was profound to me. It was profound because in that moment I realized that's essentially what I was doing. I was, I was sitting down. I was recognizing his calling on my life, but I was, I was just sitting down and basically saying, well, let, let's see what God comes up with. And I, and, and I, and I instantly knew okay, I, I've, got, I've got to get up. I've got to try some doors. I've got to see where God might be opening or leading or whatever else. I can't, I can't just sit here and wait and see what God does. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. There are times, and this is, as you spend time, there are times when God says, be still. Just be quiet, know that I'm a God, that I'm God, wait for me and I'll let you know. There are times of stillness, there are times of, of waiting patiently. And God lets us know about those times, but there's something about the idea of getting up and, and moving forward to see where God's going to lead us in this. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's the only way fear is overcome. Well, I, I, but what if this happens? And what if that happens? What if this? What if that? I don't know. I just know God just keeps lovingly pushing and we have to keep moving forward in obedience if we want to have victory over fear in our lives. You want to have victory? Don't let fear steal from you what God desires for you to have. Don't let fear rob you of the victory that is ours, really ours, in our marriage, in our home, in our ministry, in our, in our church, in our... Uh, work situation in whatever uh, our future whatever it is 
don't let fear rob you of what can be. Step out in obedience. Say, God, all right, I'm, I'm showing up. I'm, I'm reporting for duty. What do you want to do today? I'm just going to move forward and see where, where you go in this. And watch what God does to your fear. There's a great word for all of us to hear and remember today. Fear is defeated through obedience. Jezebel's threat had knocked Elijah for a loop and caused him to want to run for his life. God met Elijah in his fear, just as he meets us in our fear. The key is to keep moving forward as God leads us, knowing that he is near and will be with us. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Praise God. Praise God for his perfect love given through the cross that not only defeated death and sin, but has defeated everything that would bring fear into our lives. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.